You've heard that phrase, time flies when? Time flies when, is there another way you can fill that? I've heard this one. Time flies, it seems to speed up when you get older. That's the weirdest thing for me. I mean, I'm not that older, but you know. But it, I remember telling Julie, well, okay. No, but we were going to watch the July 4th fireworks, and I'm like, it seems literally like it was five or six months ago that we were, you know, in this little spot that we go near the mall in T.O. and watch the fireworks. And I was like, there's no way it's been a year. I mean, we left at 10 to 9. It was just yesterday. That's what it feels like. Well, time seems to just speed up, and we seem to lose track of time or maybe waste time even because it moves so fast. We're so busy. What does it mean when God says he wants us to redeem our time? To redeem the time. We're going to look at that this morning. How do we redeem the time that God's given us? If he's given us, you know, these minutes here, how are we going to redeem this time as we hear God's word? When we leave here, how are we going to redeem the time that we have with our family or friends or doing our projects or taking a rest or then head back to work? How are we going to redeem it and make the, really make the most of that time? That's what we're going to be talking about. So if you would grab your Bibles and open up to Ephesians chapter 5, we're actually in verse 15. Last week, uh, we talked about leaving the old ways. Remember that? Leaving the old self and putting on the new choices in Christ, the new behaviors and words the grace of Christ, and so on. How do we put off the old self and put on the new? And you might remember before I even started this series that I told you that Steve Doucette on a week where he was preaching chose Ephesians 1 through 14 to preach on right before we started the Ephesians series. And we hadn't even talked. And it's like, wow, you just picked a passage. I'm going to be teaching on Ephesians. We couldn't believe it. It's just like, that's awesome. So he taught on this passage. So I just want to remind you, those verses from chapter 5, verse 1 to 14 are all about walking in the light. And if you're here, you remember that. If not, you can pick it up online. Where he even shut the lights down and, and had a little light just kind of fill the room, right? And you just go like, wow, when light is shining in the darkness... It shows up, it, it has effect, it's, it's positive, it creates influence because you can see things and move around and not hurt yourself and the light dispels the darkness and so on. And so to be children of God means we're children of light and we can walk in the light and leave the darkness and leave the things of our old self and put on the new self in Christ, put off and put on and so on. And so we touched on that a little bit last week in chapter, the end of chapter four and now he continues in verse 15 of chapter 5 on this theme of walking. And I, I love when Paul just kind of circles a theme and then he kind of circles it again and goes a little deeper and adds a little bit more and he fills out our thoughts. It's a circular way of teaching, not just, well, I'm going to give you one topic and then switch and now it's another topic and then we'll add another topic. He has a way of just kind of giving you the first layer and then going down the second layer and then we kind of get that and he goes, okay, now this is how it's going to look in your life and now this is how it's going to look in your marriage and this is how it's going to look in your use of time and that's where he goes right now. This is how we can walk in a way to redeem the time. So starting in verse 15, chapter 5, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. There are lots of ways we can live. We can live, as he says, he boils it down to kind of two paths, two choices. You can choose to live with wisdom and get that from God, or you can choose to live unwisely and live foolishly and live as if you don't really know that there's a day to be used for his glory and you might just use it for yourself. But all people have that choice. 
And every day actually is that choice. Am I going to walk the path of godly wisdom or am I going to walk the path of maybe the culture's wisdom or my wisdom or just my agenda? And he points out that what surrounds us are days of evil, that people around you are not, the culture is not saying, oh, let's all worship and love God. This is awesome. Everyone of every culture, of every tribe, nation, people, and tongue, everybody in our country, in, in Park and in T.O., and in the, let's all just worship God and love him and walk in a way that pleases him. Let's all be wise. Come on, let's all be wise. Do you hear that from the culture? Just the opposite. Why don't you just be wise in your own eyes? Go get your own. You need to progress in life and accomplish your goals. You need to make sure you make your life happen. Look out for number one, because no one else will. Take care of your family. Take care of your future. Take care... It's really the opposite. So he's saying the days are evil and that people aren't recognizing or coming to God in, uh, around us and bringing the attention to his ways and to his wisdom. They're basically saying, we figure it out on our own. Do we even know that there's a God? Or if we do, is he even interested? Hasn't he just let us go on our own? There's these things that happen. How could there really be a God? The shootings, the hard things. That, you know, and it's a discounting of God. It's not a dependency on God. So he's saying you always have a choice with the use of your time, with the use of the time of a day, how you'll spend it. Will you invest it in things of the kingdom? Will you waste it on just self-focus and things that are really just benefiting self? So it's really a question of do we live an examined life, isn't it? That's what it boils down to. Do we live an examined life? Do we look at how we're using our time? If God determines the length of our days, which he says in scripture before we had one day, he's already determined how many we will have. So you don't know how long you'll live. I don't know how long I'll live. We don't know how many years or days or months. We don't know when the Lord's going to call us home or when he'll return. But he does. And between now and that point, he wants you to redeem the time that he gives you because it is a gift. You don't control that. God does. God's giving you a gift of time each day. Are you investing it? Are you redeeming the time? Because people around you will point to themselves or to the culture or to other philosophies of life, things that represent evil and sin and self. And God's calling you to walk more and more in his ways. What have you chosen? Are there principles that are spiritual principles that are guiding your life? Are there spiritual or biblical values that are like guardrails to your life that keep you from going off some cliff in your own emotion or your sin or your temptation? You know, are you, are you saying, no, that's something I won't do. God said so. That'll lead me to trouble. This is an area in my life that God wants to further bring blessing in my marriage and so on. But these are the principles. These are the guidelines. These are the guardrails that are in place that guide my decision-making. They guide my responses to hard fearful things. They guide my trust in God for provision. They're there. They're promises. They're in place. They're down deep like those guardrails, those pylons that go down feet, you know, and cement and steel. And it's like, they're not moving. They're going to keep the car on the right track. Do you have biblical principles and truths that promises that guide you and protect you? And if you do, then you'll be redeeming the time that you have. Now, when you want to go somewhere and you have an address, you don't know how to get there, basically, what do you do? These days, what do you do? Take out your phone, right? Plug in the coordinates of the, the address. And then all of a sudden, it starts talking to you. 
in 500 feet, turn left, right? And you, you're basically going to be taken from where you are to your destination. GPS, right? Do you realize that God's GPS, God's positioning system, is there to get you to your destination? In fact, he's got destinations for each day, not just heaven. We just think all that. You mean the final destination, like heaven? Well, I mean, through Christ, I'm going to get there, right? No, he's talking about destinations each day to glorify him as you go through each day. Now, if you take the wrong turn or you don't trust that little voice coming through your phone or through your car, what, is, what, what barks out at you real quick? What's that? Rerouting, rerouting. You're like, oh my God, what did I do? Or you go, all right, I thought I knew better. Once in a while, I fall into that too. I know this area. This, this, this. And then you get down here and you're like, oh, okay. I thought that street went through and it's a dead end. Okay, oops, should have listened. Rerouting. God reroutes us, doesn't he? When we're not redeeming our time and we're heading down dead ends or we're gonna get into trouble in some temptation or sin, he knows better than we know. His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher. He knows best as our heavenly father that loves us. He knows what's in front of us. He knows the dangers that are out there that we could trip, fall into. So he's gonna reroute us and guide us through these biblical principles according to his will. We need to understand what the will of the Lord is. And that's how we'll have these guardrails, these directions, these reroutes at times when you most need it. You're about to do that or respond to that person. You're gonna hear the Holy Spirit say, rerouting, drop the anger, turn away from the anger and rage, turn to self-control, pause, count to 10, pray. And you're gonna go, wow, I could have blown that thing up. Because in my flesh, I was just mad. Or I'm rerouted to consider praying about this future decision at work or this move out of state or this situation with our daughter or our son and so on. And you're going to hear the Lord reroute you to the promises of God when maybe you've fallen into fear or you get caught up in all the what ifs. You start living in anxiety, not in trust. And so the Lord reroutes us to his will, his perfect will. In Romans 12, Paul tells us, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. We don't always know what it is, but a lot of the time we do. And when it's super clear what it is, we just in faith have to say, God, okay, I'm gonna act. I'm gonna, you say forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. You've forgiven me. I don't feel like forgiving. That's your perfect will. I'm going to forgive. Give me the strength. And we do that. You knew what the will of the Lord is. Forgiving is good, perfect, and acceptable to God. It's going to bring healing to at least your heart and maybe to the relationship too. But you know it. It's clear. It's simple. It's his will. You then have to do what with his will? Act on it. Rerouting away from anger and grudge and hatred. Rerouting away from selfishness and fear and anxiety. Rerouting toward his will, which is going to bring life to your heart. It's going to free you in some way. It's going to bring fruit into that relationship or that interaction. If we don't pay attention to the rerouting of the Holy Spirit, you know what happens? We get squeezed. The world is very strong. We get squeezed into the world's ways. We get squeezed into thinking, oh, there's no other choice. Everyone does this. I mean, God's forgiving after all, so I'll just kind of, 
We start losing our grip on the truth and on his will because we're being squeezed and tempted and drawn away by the world. You haven't put the guard rails in place or the, the, the guideposts. You're not living according to the rerouting truths of his word. And you're going to crash and burn in some area. You're going to bring destruction to a relationship or trouble to your own heart. So the Lord would say, look carefully how you walk. Walk in my wisdom. Make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. It's good and perfect, acceptable, and it's going to guide you. It's going to bring blessing. It's going to prevent more regret in your life. It's going to prevent more hurt. We have enough of it, don't we? <laughs> don't we? I have enough of that regret and hurt. We didn't do it God's way. We didn't pray much. We acted in our flesh. We didn't really want to work on that sin area. We've seen enough of that. We don't need to see more of that to know it's true. We just say, Lord, give us faith to live now according to biblical guidelines, biblical guardrails, right? These these truths and promises of God's will that point us the right direction and bring that protection and that shaping in our life. Otherwise, the world will win, will squeeze you into its mold, and there's a lot of regret and a lot of hurt that goes when we don't walk in his ways. Then he goes on, and he gives us a real clear example of, of one of those, where you're not walking wise and you're not walking in his ways. That's verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. So Paul chooses a very clear example that tripped up most of the culture in his day. Trips up a lot of people in our culture these days, right? But it was an issue back then. And, and back then, especially, the drunkenness would lead to sexual immorality and orgies and crazy stuff, even in the name of worship, not God of the Bible, but false worship of false gods and crazy temple situations. It was ugly and wrong and dark and sin and all that. But he's going, you know, no, now, walk in the way of wisdom. Don't get drunk with wine because it's going to lead you to debauchery. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know what debauchery means. I had to look it up. How about you? <laughs> it doesn't sound good. It's like one of those words. It doesn't sound good coming out. It's got to be nasty. Debauchery. Debauchery. You don't want to be a debaucher, do you? <laughs> I don't want to be a debaucher. Okay. What does that mean? Abandoning one's responsibilities. When someone drinks too much, when they become drunk, they can't attend to the things in their life responsibly, like their jobs, their relationships, or their health, can they? They've actually purposefully or through addiction, they've given up the rights to have much control of, of anything at all, other than I give up my rights to the alcohol. Just I want that to control me. I'm not thinking about my jobs, my relationships. I'm not thinking about anything to do productive today or tonight or a week or maybe for a while. And that's what he means here is that it leads to destructive things. Paul is not denouncing drinking here. He is denouncing drunkenness. And it's an issue in our culture, isn't it? Drunkenness is an issue. It's affected many, many people sitting here, many families. It's destroyed marriages. It's very, very destructive when it's not un un under control. And he's talking about drunkenness here and the, the devastating effects that lead to this debauchery, this abandoning of one's responsibilities. So scripture's clear. We need to avoid drunkenness. It dishonors God. It has devastating consequences. We should do all things with self-control and for the glory of God. And it displays to a world that there is such a thing 
as living for the glory of God. And in areas where we struggle, we look for the control found through the Holy Spirit's power. We look to bring change in our own life and to help others through God's power that no one has to stay addicted, has to stay under the control of anything, alcohol or anything else, because Jesus came to rescue people from their sin and from addiction, any kind of sin, anything that would control them other than himself. One thing I want to add here, and it is not in the text, but I, I'm sure you can see the tie-in, is alcohol dependency, depending on alcohol on a daily basis. This has become a thing. I don't think people question this much anymore, and I'm like, I wonder why. I mean, I actually don't wonder why. I actually think I know why, but it's something that as your brother in Christ and your pastor in love, I want to have you just think this through for a minute. Self-control with alcohol, as with anything, I want to make that clear, it's not just alcohol, but self-control in this area of alcohol, if you're not careful, can lead to a daily dependence where you need alcohol. You, you need it to relax, to be yourself, so you think, it's, it's just I need it. That dependency that's just a little right now, but I'm, yeah, I kind of depend, yeah, it's my routine, yeah, I kind of need it, I, stress relief, I numb this out, that hurts too deep, I, I just need it, I got it, it's what I do, it's who I am can become a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more to the point where it's a real dependency and it's moved to an addiction and something that is way out of your control. Now, for everyone, that circumstance or that slide can be very different. For some, it's a very, very gradual thing. You might not even be able to witness it all. Then if you look back five or 10 years, you go, oh yeah, they're completely dependent on alcohol and under its control alcoholism. For others, it happens very quickly. And one thing that is hard to know about yourself, maybe if you have an addictive personality, you know that about yourself, but some people, they don't realize it's coming until it's too late and they've blown things up and now they're fully addicted. So I, I share this as a caution just to look at this. Yes, we know drunkenness is wrong, but also some of the steps that lead to it, we just have to be cautious as with anything, right? To say, is this a dependency that I need, or am I depending on Christ more and more each day? That's a good question. With anything you go, is this a dependency? Is this almost more my go-to than even God? It's more of a go-to. It's more pleasurable. It's more fulfilling. It's my stress relief. It's my whatever, more than God? Like, I, I'm not even really praying much anymore. I've kind of given up because I feel so bad, but I'm so drawn is it de defining you more and more? Is it a have to more and more? Is it a dependency? Or are we supposed to be moving toward daily prayer and meditation on his word more and more? Being more dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit to comfort us where we're hurting, to strengthen us where we feel weak, to continue to bring about maturity in Christ. That is why God has given us the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit and he defines him, he titles him as the helper, the advocate, the guide into all truth. You have the living power of God in you, who is your advocate, he fights for you. He's trying to defend you and bring you to a place of wholeness in Christ. He's guiding you into all truth. He's trying to get you away from the lies that you've already believed or believed for too long. He's trying to guide you to truth. He's trying to reroute you and bring you this way, right? to a God-honoring lifestyle, self-controlled lifestyle, whatever it could be that you're under its control. 
The Holy Spirit has been given to you so that you can fight sin, not by yourself and not by your power, but by the power of God. Second Chronicles 20 says, the battle is the Lord's. We need to remember that this is not something we do in our own flesh. It's too strong. You've learned that if you're under any dependency or control. You can't do it in your own flesh. It's too strong. But you can do it by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. When you think of a person, okay, you think of you're just your average Joe person. I'll just step out of the way. Your average Joe person right here, okay? They don't know the Lord. They haven't been convicted of their sin and given their life to Christ and asked for his forgiveness. So they're just the normal person, just living life for themselves, their own dictates, their own way. Then you have a Christian, use me an example or use you, you know Christ. This person over here does not have the power of the Holy Spirit because they don't yet know Christ, right? They don't have God living in them. They're created in his image. God's trying to draw them to himself so that they would receive a new heart, be forgiven of their sin and have a relationship with God and be filled and sealed with the Holy Spirit, but they don't yet have the Holy Spirit, right? That's what it means to be a Christian or a non-Christian, an unbeliever. But you as a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, right? You're empowered by the resurrection power of God through his spirit. You can conquer anything. You can be an overcomer in Christ by his spirit that lives in you. You can. That's why God calls us to this. He goes, you want to be free? You're imprisoned by something. If it's alcohol or anything else, you're dependent on it as if it's a God or an idol. You can get out of that prison. In fact, it's locked from the inside and the keys are in the lock. You, all you literally have to do is go, I don't want to be in this prison anymore. And you step forward and you turn the keys on the inside and through the power of Christ and the spirit, you're released from that. And you'll continue to be released from that temptation and have victory and more and more. That's his desire for you as a follower of Christ because you have the Holy Spirit in you. That is incredible good news. Some of you do not think you could ever get out of the addiction or whatever's controlling you. The hatred, lack of forgiveness, you know, you're lying, you're stealing, you're whatever it is. Illegal drugs, pornography, whatever the addiction is. You don't think you actually can. You just think, there's no way. I'm trapped. It's just everyone's got their sin. That's mine. It's like, no, you can and you will as you recognize these truths that I'm sharing this morning. That's why we have a ministry here called Overcomers Outreach. It meets on Tuesday nights. It helps people who have any kind of dependency or addiction in their life from a biblical perspective. So I encourage you to jump into that ministry. With any addiction, anything that's controlling you, you'll have incredible support and incredible help from the Lord through his spirit and through the truth and power of his word. So I want to circle back on this one more time. There are many things in life that can control us when we should be controlling them through the power of the spirit. There are many things bringing devastating effects because they're not under the spirit's control yet. Hatred, unforgiving patterns of rage and anger, pornography, constant overworking, overspending, illegal drugs. I, I want to just make that clear. Many things. But 1 Peter 4, 7 says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. We have to be able to pray. We don't even want to pray when we're addicted and under control of things. We feel so lost and so separated from God. We're not separated. His spirit still lives in us. We just have to turn that thing over to God and pray. 
And our minds aren't controlled and we're giving ourselves to whatever that doesn't please God. So we're not praying. And he said, no, you gotta have a clear mind so you can't pray. So ask the Holy Spirit to give you that. He gives us the power to practice self-control in every area. Praise God there can be victory for every one of us sitting here in every area. You know what stops that victory parade from happening? Sometimes we just don't want it. We love our sin. Scripture is clear. And if that's you this morning, it's, it's actually the best possible thing you could do. Say, God, I, I actually love that sin. I hate to admit it. I love that sin. I, I need to change. I need to stop that. You don't love it, and it's going to destroy, and it already has done damage. So I'm going to turn from that. I'm going to let myself out of the prison because you have given me new victory in Christ. So Paul, just to sum up now, Paul specifically and clearly here says, don't be filled with alcohol, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? That's where he goes in the very next verse. But it can be any area or any substance or anything you could be under its control or under its power, and it should be you as a follower of Christ under the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, be, but be filled with the Spirit. So he's already told us that we're sealed Ephesians chapter one. And then last week we talked about that as well. So two times even before this. Now he's saying, now be under the influence or the control of the spirit. Be full of the spirit. He's in you, he's sealed you, but now be under his influence. Just like unfortunately, someone's drunk, you can see the influence of the alcohol. If someone's filled with the spirit, you see the influence of the spirit. Live that way. That's the right path. That's the wise path, right? That's what he's saying. Then your peace is sturdy. Your gentleness and your humility is evident. Your identity is stable. Your love is stronger for people. Your conversations start to change. Your compassion flows from the heart of Christ through your heart, your actions, your responses, your lips. Being under the influence of the Spirit literally changes all those things about you for the good, <laughs> right? For, for new things that God wants to do in you. This could be the very thing that saves your marriage, because only you know it's on the rocks. This is the very thing that could save you from depression because you know you're losing a grip on your trust and belief in God. It could be the very thing that whatever, and you just say, oh, it's that serious? Yes, but it's that wonderful that it changes all those aspects about who you are when you're filled or under the influence of the Spirit, when you're just obeying his rerouting in your life. Paul makes that clear also in Galatians 5 where he says, so I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. Do you ever feel that battle in your own heart? You know what you want to do, but you, you, you don't do it. You wrestle with it. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. And you feel guilty when you don't. You feel great when you do. But you know how long I have to keep wrestling? And Paul says, oh, you know, you're not condemned for the wrestling. You're forgiven by God. That's why he went to a cross but I want to help you live on this side, on the victory side. I want to rescue you from going back and forth and then all the time or, or actually just giving up and staying over here in the dark of that sin and being rescued into the light in Christ by the power of the Spirit under this influence of the Spirit in your life. Wow, so exciting when I think of the reality of this freedom that we can have in Him. Yes, the flesh wars against the Spirit, but the Spirit's more powerful. He who lives in you is more powerful than he's in the world who's tempting your flesh. And your own sin. He's more powerful and he lives in you and you can have victory in Christ. Be filled with the Spirit. And then he gives three examples of what that would look like, which I love. And they all kind of fold together. The first is in verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms 
and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. When you have a melody in your heart, a psalm in your mind, you've read something in the word, you've got truth on your lips, you have a joy because you've focused on Jesus, you've beheld your Savior, you've opened the word of God each day, as I encourage you to do, you've gotten a glimpse of Jesus again or his forgiveness again, or you see him heal someone again, you go, oh, Lord, heal me, and oh, God, be gracious to me, and you're reminded of a truth about forgiveness or whatever it is, and you just go, oh, wow, it's putting a melody in my heart, I mean, I want to sing, I... You know, I just, I got this psalm that I can't wait to share with somebody. Look what God did. I have a testimony, a witness. I have something of the Lord because I pursued him this week. I can't wait to get together with the believers on Sunday or midweek or that lunch. I have something of God that he did. It kind of just flows out of you. Why? Because you've beheld your Savior and in beholding him, you're becoming like him and you have something wonderful of God to testify to. It just spills out of your lips and your face and your joy and your, your song. When your heart is full of the love of Jesus, these things come naturally. And you think, ah, nah, not me, man. I don't sing. Are you kidding? I barely sing in church. And even when I'm standing up, I just barely, <laughs> it isn't me. It's going to become you. The Holy Spirit will give you a melody in your heart. He'll give you a new song. I've never said this before. I'm going to say it now, though. I just feel it. Some of you feel so resistant to what I just said. If you would just pray, because this was kind of me a number of years ago, but if you would just pray, Lord, don't think of myself like that at all. I just don't. I'm just quiet. I just don't think I have a good voice. I just, you know, dudes don't sing. Are you kidding me? You know, if that's you or you're a gal, just say, Lord, would you free me up by the power of your Holy Spirit to be different than I think I am? If this is from you, would you free me up I get so tightly wound. That's not me. I've already defined myself. I would never do something to someone. Who's, Why is he singing? Because he loves God. He's worshiping. It's something that bubbles up because of the Holy Spirit in you and just comes out your lips. I heard this thing that says, happy husband's whistle. I love the whistle. But it's the Lord. It's the Lord in me that causes the whistle, and I, and I married well. <laughs> Praise the Lord. He helped me. Anyway. Do you whistle? Do you sing psalms? Do you testify to the goodness of God? Do you have thankfulness on your heart and on your lips? Does it come out? Do you tend to be serious and grouchy? I mean, that's not what the Lord wants. He wants you to be free and full of his joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength, right? See what he might do if he even said, Lord, I don't know if I would say psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs and singing and making melody in my heart. It just comes out of me. Not quite me. Because I have hard things in life. If you knew my life, Okay, then I'd point you to Acts 16. Acts 16, Paul and Silas are in prison. How has their week been going? (laughs) Well, with bloody backs, they're shackled together in this prison cell. And at midnight, what were they doing? Praying and singing hymns to God. It so pleased the Lord, and he had a great plan for this. He shook the prison with an earthquake. And they were actually all released from their shackles. They didn't go anywhere. And look at the rest of the story in Acts 16, the rest of what God did. But it all started with, I'm guessing that they were walking in the fullness of the Spirit before they were in prison. Yeah? Would you agree with that? They were likely walking in the fullness and the influence of the Holy Spirit before they were locked up, beaten and locked up in prison. So then when they actually got in prison at midnight, just like, all right, this isn't our choice 
They're singing their melodies and their praises out to God. And boy, he let them know that that pleased him, didn't he? 1 Corinthians 14 talks about everyone coming to the gathering with a hymn or a word or a teaching, something on their heart, something of God to share. Why? Because they didn't waste their week. They redeemed their week. They redeemed the time of their week. They were in the word. They were with other Christians. They were praying. They were calling out to God. They were fighting that temptation. They were working hard at their walk, right? They were seeking the things of the kingdom and the, the cause of Christ. And that's you and that's me. And you'll have something to share when you come, that, that word or that hymn or that song or that testimony or something that God's been teaching you. This stuff does stir me up, as you can tell, because I think a lot of people feel like they're on the sidelines. They don't get to do this. Oh, that's just for the pastors that like to talk a lot. That's just for the people in here that think they have a good voice. That's not me. This is all of us. This is every last one of you. Do not discount yourself. That's a lie of the enemy. Do not discount what God wants to do through the power of his Holy Spirit in and through you. I would love it if your family said, you won't believe what happened to her this week. Or what happened? Like, what was the message? I was out of town. I would love if there was such distinct and dramatic changes in her heart so that the bubbling and joy, the words, the truth, the encouragements of God just started flowing from us. And we bring those. They're called manifestations of the Holy Spirit, right? The Spirit manifesting his goodness, his self-control, his grace, his patience, his faithfulness, his gen- all that. Manifesting it. The fruit of the Spirit starts manifesting. It's him through you coming out and blessing others. That's pretty awesome. Okay, add to that. Verse 20. Here's another sign or signal or evidence of walking in the fullness of the Spirit. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Always giving thanks to God in Jesus' name for all things. Is that a typo? Is that a typo? Is that really what he said? Could that actually be possible in my life to always be thanking God actually for all things? For the smooth days and the rough days? To have an attitude of gratitude all the time? So let me ask you, do you have an attitude of gratitude to God? Some of you may say like, well, you mean like, you mean, if I, you mean like once in a week? <laughs> I mean, do you like live with an attitude of gratitude to God for him saving you, that you know him, all the promises are yours in Christ, for his provision, his protection, his grace and forgiveness of you, the riches of his grace lavished on you, all that God is to you. Do you have an attitude of gratitude, the way he's guiding you, the way he protected you from this, the way when you were weak, he was your strength? All those things. He lifted you out. He pulled you out. He, he's providing. He's given me so much. Like, do you have an attitude of gratitude to God regularly? That's, that happens when we're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will always, always keep reminding us how lovely Jesus is. The Holy Spirit will keep reminding us he's so merciful and compassionate with you and you're like, oh yeah, and I so need that. The Holy Spirit will remind you how loved by God you are. And then when you realize that, you think, oh man, I'm like the most blessed person. How can I not go love others the way I've been loved? And I'll say, you can't. That's what's awesome. Just go love others more the way he loves you. And you start feeling like, I, I, could I be more blessed? Yeah, this is really hard and I hope that changes and I'm praying it changes. Changes. But Lord, in the midst, I can consider it joy, like James 1 says. I can consider all things joy because God's in it with me. He's never left me and he never will. And he's got something to teach me in and through this really hard thing. 
But that's the 1% or the 5% or call it the 10% if you're going through a really hard week. But instead of spending 90% of your time complaining about the 10% that's hard, how about taking 90% of your time and thanking God for all the good, having an attitude of gratitude, and then praying about the 10% that's tough, just giving it to him, trusting him. That doesn't need to be the centerpiece. Shouldn't the centerpiece be the 90% of all the wonderful things that God's doing? And then when you start doing that more and more each day, you look at the 10% differently. You go, huh, actually, I saw God teach me something through that. Huh, I would have never chosen that, but that's actually brought me closer to my brother or my mom or my dad or that worker at work. Huh, I never, I've just been more dependent. I prayed more just because that was hard. Maybe if that didn't happen, maybe I wouldn't be as close to God. Maybe. And then you start to even praise God for the hard things. Always giving thanks for everything to God. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you refocus on that incredible truth. And the Holy Spirit will keep bringing it to your mind and your heart. It'll come out your lips. Ungrateful, entitled, whiny grumblers are a drag. Would you agree? <laughs> They're a drag. If you get there, you go, I'm a drag on myself. When you're around others, you go, oh, it's hard to be. They're always complaining. They're always judging. There's nothing's ever good enough. I'm not good enough. They're not good enough. The world's not good enough. Nothing's good enough. I would say, no, God is awesome and he's always good all the time. But your focus needs to go back to him. Don't be the what if person. Don't be the glass half empty folk. Don't be the negative Nelly. Don't be the, the person with worry warts all over your body. Everyone knows, oh, you can't stop being fearful and worried. Just, you're not trusting God. Just say, no, not anymore. That's not me anymore. I'm not gonna let that define me. I'm gonna be a person who always is grateful for who God is, who he is to me, and the things he's already provided and given to me, and all the promises that, have, that are gonna continue to define my future. That's gonna be my focus, and I will allow the Holy Spirit to influence me that way to always thank God through Christ. And then lastly, boy, and if this one doesn't get your attention, and this one needs the power of the Holy Spirit on steroids. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does submit mean? To subject, to be subject to, or to put yourself under. Is there anything more in life that requires the power of the Holy Spirit than to subject yourself to someone else? to let them choose, to let them have their way, to not have to fight for your rights or fight for something better or fight to be recognized. The power of the Holy Spirit is so needed when it comes to submitting out of reverence for Christ to someone else. But what if you were a person that, were, that was humble toward all the people that you're around? It doesn't matter if they have some title or they're a neighbor or they're younger. Or whatever. Just you have a humble, gentle approach like we talked about last week. Philippians 2.3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And 1 Peter 5.10, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He backs and supports and empowers the humble, those that are willing to submit to one another out of your reverence and submission to Christ. That's how you frame it. Oh, they're going to think they're better than me. They're going to get a big head. They'll try to control me. Oh, now I lose rank according or in front of them. Who cares? This is in reverence to Christ. 
I can love and serve and be compassionate with anyone with any need. I'm going to consider them more important than myself and lift them up. I can go from this situation at work to this situation in my neighborhood to this situation with my spouse to this situation with my son or my daughter. And I can have that focus. Praise God. He can rescue me from being so self-consumed and self-focused. Out of reverence for Christ, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we can submit to one another. So there you have it. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is pretty glorious. It comes out of your heart. You're always able to speak of the good things of God with a melodious tone, whether you're singing or just declaring, giving thanks to God and submitting to one another, not wasting your time with the, the dark, unwise roads of life or the control of alcohol or anything else, but staying on the road of his wisdom and his blessing, being able to be used by God for supernatural things in the lives of people around you and in your own life. I think that's enough for today. What do you think? Now we gotta live it, right guys? We gotta live this stuff. We have to live the announcement I made earlier. We have to live it and mean it in Christ and live in faith. And to live this message is gonna require a lot of faith too. So let's go to God. He's the one who has the power we don't. And Jason's gonna come on and lead us in the song of worship as well. Thank you, Lord, for the power, the clarity, the truth, the conviction of your word. We so need it, and I need it more, Lord. Please continue to speak to me and to us as your church. We love being your sons and daughters. Thank you for the incredible trajectory of our lives in Christ, where you're taking us, not even where we are. You never want us to be stuck or satisfied. You want to stir us up and keep us moving in Christ. More victories, more walking in the influence of the Spirit. So thank you, Lord, that you'll do that, even as we ask you to right now. And if there's anything on your heart right now the Lord has, he's touched on or convicted you of, just give it to him. Say, Lord, I confess that. That's, that's the stuff I need to put away. Forgive me, Lord. You're rerouting me to greater, higher truths, to the goodness and blessing of God. Thank you, Lord. You're trying to protect me from regret and sin and pain. You're trying to use my life for fullness and blessing in others. Thank you, Lord. Me, you're doing that in and through me, and you want to do that more. Thank you, God. I matter to you so deeply. Thank you, Father, for loving me this much. May I just walk more closely to you this week, pleasing you in all the ways I've learned today. And Lord, as I give right now, and I pray this week about my commitment to give to this church, Lord, would you please lead me in that? Lord, would you lead me to commit my heart to these truths I've heard today? And Lord, would you please use me to touch others with the love of God around me? Lord, receive our worship right now and our gifts. They're for you, Jesus.